I'll be reading from the New King James Version, John 7, 37 through 39. These verses deal with the promise of the Spirit, and if you would like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 757. <clears throat> On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living waters. But this he spoke of concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not received yet giving, given because Jesus had not been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. God's people said, ah. When my son Nick was uh, in scouts for quite some time, one of his scout masters named Bill Summerall, anybody know Bill? Great guy. Uh, Bill would uh, send us messages about upcoming outdoor events, uh, overnight campouts, uh, big hikes, other outdoor things, and I just loved his uh, messages because three or four times he would say, be sure to hydrate few more sentences. Oh, and by the way, hydrate. A few more sentences. Did I say anything about staying hydrated? And he'd go on, and finally he would usually say at the end, signing off, not sincerely or yours truly, he would say, hydrating with you, Bill Summerall. Very, very important if you're in scouts. Very, very important to remain hydrated no matter what. Uh, you can be dehydrated and not even realize it. I wasn't going to say this, but it's a year ago today. Do you remember when I had to sit down? Some of you, I was dehydrated. Took all those tests that I went through and found out I was just dehydrated. Didn't even realize it. Sometimes we're physically dehydrated and we don't realize it or we don't do anything about it. We don't keep a check on ourselves and we might pay a price for it. Well, we can also be quite spiritually dehydrated and that's really what we're talking about today. Renewing our thirst for the life-giving water of Christ and sharing that good news with others. And our text that Bill read just a moment ago is only three verses, but really each of those verses offers something important about what it means for us to remain hydrated, to become hydrated and remain hydrated. First of all, we need to hydrate our thirst for Jesus, quite simply. Hydrate our thirst for Jesus. Now, Jesus' generation had a particular appreciation for hydrating. It's hard for us to appreciate what was going on in his day, Palestine didn't have a great water supply, and it was hot and dry. The climate just, just was conducive to people dehydrating. It wasn't strange at all for people in and around where Jesus lived to die of dehydration. Not strange at all. It was a luxury to have water. It was a special blessing. It was a special gift from God. And that's why the final feast of the Jewish year was the Feast of Tabernacles. And it celebrated primarily, first and foremost, God's gift of water. Now, we might not be quite as familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles as we might think, so I just kind of want to tick off some of the important things about it, because it was really, by ancient Jewish standards, it wasn't real elaborate or extravagant, but it had a lot of facets to it. So let's just walk through some of these. Uh, one of three feasts uh, for which Jews were required to travel to Jerusalem. In, in other words, this was one of the feasts 
where people would just converge on Jerusalem and there would be thousands and thousands of faithful Jews there. Next, it took place five days after the High Holy Day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Also, it lasted eight days. The first and last days were Sabbaths, which were days of rest. People would move out of their houses and camp out in booths, speaking of camping out, that were made of uh, branches, olive and myrtle and other types. And it would remind them of the time years, centuries before, when the people were uh, traveling around nomadically with Moses, and they would live in tents under the stars, and they would watch the stars in the evening. Okay? The temple area was illuminated by large candlesticks, uh, symbolizing that great uh, pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness. A special, think about this, a special sacrifice of 70 bulls was made throughout the week. Yay! And it was for the known 70 nations, which some of them were not even existent, but they kind of rounded off and said there's probably 70 nations, so we're going to offer a special sacrifice for everybody in each of those nations. The temple trumpets were blown 21 times on each day. Okay, most of all, though, it was a celebration of water. Now, how did they go about celebrating that? Feast of Tabernacles followed the longest dry period in Hebrew calendar, or on the Hebrew calendar. So there was months of drought, and now they have hopes for rain in the near future. And this was partly why they did this. seems to have almost kind of shades of the Baal worship, where they would uh, worship fertility gods for the sake of having good crops. But they definitely wouldn't uh, go, go all the way with that. Each day, the priest would draw water from the Pool of Siloam. And this was a special ceremony, especially on the last day. Uh, priest would wear this beautiful white robe, draw water from the pool of Siloam. He would actually march out from the temple to the pool at Siloam, draw this water, and the people would follow the priest back to the temple, and they would sing Isaiah 12, 3, which is, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then the priest, at the high point of all of this, would pour the water out in a golden vessel over the altar, and it's a celebration of God's miraculous provision of water. Well, it was on this last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, as it says in verse 37. It was on the last day of that feast that Jesus stood up. Let's go on and go to verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, probably as the priest was pouring from this vessel onto the altar, this this rich, refreshing water, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Now, we don't appreciate that, but that was really inappropriate. Rather audacious to do. You didn't do that, okay? You didn't just stand up and shout like that. This was a solemn occasion. But it says he shouted to the crowds. I think, Bill, with the New King James Version, you had it, it, the more traditional translation is he cried out to the crowds. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. That verb, cry out or shout, is used only two other times in the New Testament. Uh, first of all, it's when John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And he's been baptizing people in what? Water. And here's the one who's going to bring us living water. You know, the only other place where he shouts out, cries out like this is in John 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. He cries out, Lazarus, come out. What a powerful depiction of the one who can bring about new life. And then here, he shouts out, anybody who is thirsty, come to me. And what is he saying? And this is, he, he's crying this out to thousands of people. He's saying, if you are thirsty for new and everlasting life, come to me. You know, he offers himself. He doesn't offer another ceremony. He's saying, you know, you know don't put all your trust in this ceremonialism you're doing right now, this externalism. 
Don't put your faith in all of this formality. Come to me and drink. And he compares our higher spiritual desire for water to physical thirst, the lower need of thirst. You and I know this. You can live for a number of days without food. You cannot live long without water, which is why, and the choir sang it beautifully at the beginning of the service, based on Psalm 42, as a deer pants for streams of water, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, O living God. And then I love that song. I asked Keith if they would sing that. It's entitled Breathe, and it just speaks to our yearning for God. I'm lost without you. I'm desperate for you. But do we have that kind of thirst? Do you and I honestly have that kind of thirst for Jesus this morning? You know, can you confirm that you're thirsty for him and that you spiritually are hydrated right now? And the problem is you and I might be spiritually dehydrated, spiritually dry, and either we don't realize it or we're not doing anything about it or we've become lazy. Maybe we've even given up. And maybe it's time before you and I leave here this morning to hear once again his beckoning, his invitation to come to him and drink from his fountain of life. I have a friend here in town who's a local pastor, Roger Wilmore. And I remember hearing Roger share about how about 30 years ago when he was still a young pastor trying to navigate what it meant to be a young pastor. And he was trying to meet everybody's needs. He was a people pleaser. And he was doing that at the expense of having personal prayer time personal Bible study, not just sermon prep or lesson prep, but personal Bible study time, personal time alone with God. He was so worried about meeting everybody's needs that he was neglecting that, and it was burning him out, but he did not really realize it or would not acknowledge it. And it was in this country church, and they had a Sunday night service, and he said one of the dear matriarchs of the church, one of the real saints of the church, came up to him and said this, and I've always loved this, and he had never heard this. She said, Pastor, I can hear the dipper banging against the bottom of the bucket. I like that. Pastor, I can hear the dipper banging against the bottom of the bucket. What was she saying? She was admonishing him, saying, you need to not neglect time in the Word. Don't neglect your personal prayer time. You've got to garnish this thirst, this desperate thirst for God, and it's not there right now. Your pitcher is empty. Is that where you are? Or maybe it's not quite empty, but it's it's getting close. As a people, are we empty? Or are we celebrating the gospel as we should? It's always been interesting to me as of late uh, because the gospel really is traveling rapidly in the southern hemisphere. I don't know if you know, we're in the boring part of the globe right now as far as Christianity goes. The place where there's incredible spiritual ferment really is in the lower hemisphere with a lot of developing countries, with a lot of poor people, but it's the great place to go. If you're a missionary right now, you really don't want to go to America or go to Europe. You'd like to go to the southern hemisphere where God is doing amazing things. Why? Because people are more open to him, more thirsty for him. We become spoiled here. I really appreciate the way Philip Yancey puts it. As I travel, I have observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically from Europe and North America to the developing world, Southern Hemisphere. My theory, says Yancey, is this. God goes where he is wanted. Now, is he denying the omnipresence of God? Obviously not. He's trying to make a point. People will thrive as a part of God's kingdom, when they thirst 
for him. Well, do we want him among us here today? You and me? <clears throat> Are we thirsty for him even now? It's funny, there's so many different kinds of bottled water. Uh, by 2012, there were 195 different brands of bottled water. I'm sure there's more now by 2015. But then we have to make up our minds. I did a little research on this. You know, do you want imported water or domestic water? Do you want natural water, that is water from all one source, or do you want processed water from many sources? Do you want still water or sparkling water? And if sparkling water, do you want it naturally sparkling or artificially sparkling? And then, as far as source goes, do you want artesian water, distilled water, mineral water, purified water, spring water, or public water source? It's as if we cannot find the best kind of water to quench our thirst. And that speaks to our spiritual thirst these days. I want you to look in the bulletin. I found a, a striking quote by Oz Guinness, and I'd like to read it. And uh, I'll sit down here and read it out loud. But I want you to focus on his words, because I think they are quite significant related to what we're talking about here. As we move from thirsting for Jesus to thirsting to serve others, he says this, we are in the age of gargantuan numbers, truly instant information, ceaselessly hyperactive social media when the World Wide Web has become a flood-driven Niagara of raw, uninterpreted information, an emotion that pounds down on us with, by the minute with its ceaseless roar and its drenching deluge. Who can hear themselves think, let alone make sense of it all, with genuine reflection and seasoned judgment? No wonder it is tempting to give up and go with the flow, rushing along with the crowds and sweeping past the best as we chase after the most. It is all too easy to get caught up in the sensational and forget the significant. <clears throat> I think that's where a lot of us are these days. And we need to get away from what he calls that drenching deluge and run to the one who offers the true waters of life. I knew an evangelist who did his work for over 35 years, and I remember him telling me, he said, the hardest thing to do, Jim, is not getting people saved. He said, it's in getting them lost. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, it's the hardest thing not to satisfy their thirst, but for, get for them to feel thirsty for God. You know, all people thirst, but not all people thirst for God. We are the only species on the planet, I think, who have this sense of chronic restlessness, chronic dissatisfaction. People try everything, as you know, money and fads and fashion and success and things. And in the long run, it doesn't amount to much. It's like what is written in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The word there literally means in Hebrew, mist. All that we acquire, all that we achieve, all that we do really amounts to very little. It lacks substance, which is why later on, centuries later, Augustine said, what, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. And people need to be reached with this life-giving water, this life-giving peace. You know, and we're called to serve these people who have an unquenched thirst. And yes, there are people who are in that type of circumstance where they really have lived an extravagant life, but they need to know the gospel for themselves. But we also need to reach out to people who physically don't have much, who are malnourished, who are poor, who are really oppressed in so many ways and pay a price, and frankly are simply trying to survive another day. 
We're called to serve them. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Do you remember? Righteousness, justice. So we need to rehydrate our passion for serving these people just for the sake of serving them with a hydrated passion. Doesn't it take you to Matthew chapter 25, parable of the sheep and the goats? The king says, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. And the sheep are like, well, when did we do that for you? They are so conscious simply and so hydrated simply to serve others that they're not trying to make brownie points or anything else. They're just doing it because that's what they are called to do. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. And so in the next verse, verse 38, Jesus says, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Does it just say river or rivers? It's plural. And he's quoting Isaiah 58 there. Rivers, not just river. In the Greek, it connotes wave after wave after wave. Jesus does not promise just a mere trickle or a stream. You know, he didn't even promise a big river, but rivers. It's really like in Ezekiel 47, where Ezekiel talks about that great river, and everywhere the river touches, it brings the fruit of new life. And that's what we can do with others. If we trust of the presence of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in just a minute in verse 39, it's amazing the things we can do. And again, our ministry might start small. But if we trust that the Spirit is flowing through us, as Jody was saying, we can do amazing things. Research the Amazon River. You know, its origin is above the freeze line up in the Andes Mountains in South America. It starts out just as a little trickle. And then it intersects, interfaces with these other little trickles, becomes a small stream. And then eventually, you know, as as more of it melts there, it'll flow down from the mountain, starting with one little stream and then multiple streams that come together. And then it picks up speed and power, and then it travels 3,600 miles, and it reaches the Atlantic Ocean, and it hits the Atlantic Ocean at a rate of 1.4 million gallons per second. Think about that. 1.4 million gallons per per second with such a force that it pushes fresh water out 60 miles into the Atlantic. Now that's some power. But the problem is sometimes we don't trust that we have similar power in reaching people. And some of the ministry we do might, we feel like, amount to not even a drop, but it does. And eventually if we are all doing that together in a unified mission, it can make an incredible difference. There's power as we reach people with unquenched thirst. I have a friend, Chris C., who's pastor of a wonderfully creative church called Ecclesia. It's in Houston. It's in an urban area that's very uh, artsy, kind of run down. There's a lot of homeless people down there. There's a lot of addicts that wander around. And, and you never know what kind of person is coming in, and he loves that. It's really the kingdom of God. And he was preaching one Sunday on how the kingdom of God will come one day in the future. But he was corrected by a guy who had been an addict who came up to him and just grabbed him after the service. And let me just read what he told Chris. He said, Pastor Chris, the kingdom of God is already here, and I'm so excited. He said, every Sunday I used to be in this neighborhood, and I would come down here to a bar called Emo's, and I'd start every night with a drop of ecstasy on my tongue and wash it down with Bacardi 151. That's what I did Sunday after Sunday. Now I come to this worship service with Jesus on my heart instead, and I finish the evening with the body of Christ on my tongue, and I wash it down with the blood of Christ, 
And that's the kingdom of God right here and now, Pastor. And in response, Chris wrote this. This man is experiencing the kingdom. He lives in its presence. We may not recognize it. We don't often see it, but it is right here. And we long to get past the mundane existence of religion and get a taste of the kingdom. We need to taste that kingdom and share it with others. I love that. When he takes communion and takes the body of Christ and washes it down with the blood of Christ, he realizes the kingdom is right here and now. And he's been given the living water of Christ. And he has this desire to share in an excited, passionate fashion, a hydrated fashion, that the kingdom of God is here and now. He wants to share it with others. Well, what about you? We also need to hydrate our thirst not only for Jesus and for serving others, but for fearlessness. I remember, gosh, it's been 10 years since Katrina hit down in uh, New Orleans, and you remember how all these people were uh, almost held hostage, in a sense, at the Superdome. And people were getting uh, uh, dehydrated and, and frustrated and angry. And a lot of people were scared to go in and help the people after they had been stuck there for a number of days. But they needed help desperately. And I remember when one of the first trucks came in with ice-cold uh, water bottles, and they handed one of those water bottles to this woman who had not drunk fresh water, cold water, in days. And I'll never forget, she unscrewed the top and took a big draw of it. And a reporter was right there and stuck the mic in there and said, Well... And she just looked at him, I'll never forget, she said, steak and potatoes. She said it was just that good. And sometimes you've got to be fearless as you're bringing that life-giving water to people. And we need to be courageous and outrageous. You know, in verse 37, Jesus extended this invitation to living water. But he didn't just cry out. You notice that it says he stood. He stood into this. And back then, a Jewish rabbi did not stand when he taught. Did you know that? In, in synagogue worship, the, the uh, priest, or excuse me, not the priest, the rabbi, the teacher, would usually just sit among the people and teach them, which is why I think in the early years of the church, primarily when people would preach in churches, they would preach sitting down. I don't know if you know that, but for the first four centuries of the church, that was very common. Jesus doesn't do that. He stands and shouts. The only people that were really supposed to stand and shout back then were the, the uh, imperial heralds who would cry out some decree from Caesar or a king. They were allowed to do it. Somebody from the imperial guard, but not someone like Jesus, this peasant fellow. But he stands and does that, and it's audacious and outrageous. It would be like someone suddenly standing here and just starting to shout, or in a funeral, in a wedding, like I said earlier, some other solemn occasion. You just did not do that, but that's just what Jesus did. And he was disruptive. He was disruptive. But he wants us to have that same kind of courageous audacity he wants to cry out through you and me as his spirit flows through us, which really brings us to verse 39. It says, when he said living water, he, you know, John wants to explain it. He was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given. I mean, Jesus had not died and risen, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Acts chapter 2, right? But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. He did that later. But later, with death and resurrection, he was glorified, and then he poured his spirit into the believers' lives, and their thirst was quenched. Think about the disciples. They drank, and their thirst was quenched, and they became fearless, as you well know. Why? Because they really embraced the truth of 1 Corinthians 10.4. When it harks back to Moses, when he strikes the rock and offers forth water to these people who are just dying of thirst... 
Paul uses that imagery and says this, all of them drank from the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. The disciples were totally sold out that that rock was indeed Christ and that he was with them. What if we actually embrace that reality? That the rock of Christ is with us and always gushing with water, flowing through us, having the capacity to do that. How rich would our lives be if we really grasped that reality and let him work in and through us, through the power of his spirit? Uh, during the liberation of Palestine uh, during World War I, there was a combined force of uh, New Zealanders and Australians and British forces and they were trying to drive the Turks back across the desert to an area called Shariah and beyond. And what's interesting is the soldiers started marching so quickly that they left the camel train back here where all the water was and they got way too far ahead so they became thirsty, dehydrated, they had headaches, they were getting dizzy, uh, their lips were turning blue, it got very, very dangerous. Their eyes were bloodshot, lips swelling, and they knew they were going to have to make it to Shariah by nightfall, but Shariah was being controlled by the Turks. They were literally, even as they were marching, fighting for their lives. Well, to their good fortune, they overtook Shariah, drove the Turks out of there, and they went over to these huge stone cisterns where gallons and gallons of water were, thousands of gallons, but... They realized that there were a lot of more able-bodied people up toward the front, and so the commander had them stand at attention, some 20 feet, beginning 20 feet from these cisterns. And he said, those who were wounded worse toward the back need to come forward and drink water first, along with those who are going to stand guard first. And it took four hours to have everyone have a drink from those cisterns. And, and, and some of these guys had been marching through and they were closest to the cisterns and they stood about 20 feet away and waited for hours to get a drink of water. Imagine, imagine the kind of passion they had at that moment for this source of sustenance. It had to be agonizing. One of the officers present said this, quote him here, I believe that we all learned our first real Bible lesson on the march from Beersheba to the Shariah Wells. If such were our thirst for God, for righteousness, and for his will in our lives, a consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying desire, how rich in the fruit of the Spirit would we be? Great question. You know, are we that thirsty for him? Do we have that thirst that we might be fearless for him as his witnesses? And how much richer our lives would be if we would let the Spirit flow through us and share the gospel more fearlessly? And perhaps we should close by remembering two words of Jesus on the cross. This just really strikes me right to the core based on everything else we've talked about. It's just two words as he's hanging on the cross. I thirst. I thirst. Yes, he was physically thirsty, but think about this. He's drinking from the cup that he for a moment thought could pass him. And it's the cup of suffering, the cup of sin, the cup of hatred, the cup of anger. And he drank it down to the dregs, and now it's almost empty. And now the very source of living water is hanging on a cross, and he is dehydrating. He is going dry. You go back to John chapter 4, before the crucifixion, and he meets a woman in the city of Sychar at a well. And she's an outcast of society because she's been living an immoral life. But Jesus tells her, if you drink from my well, you will never thirst. 
And then later on, at the Feast of Tabernacles, he tells the people, come to me and drink, all of you who thirst. And you will never be thirsty again. You will have everlasting, life-enriching water. And those two really become a backdrop now to Jesus who is hanging on the cross. The source of living water is now thirsty and drying up. Can you feel the irony and the ominousness of that? But that is precisely what he did for you and me that we might have the waters of life. He finished the cup. Don't you think you and I could thirst for him all the more because of what he did for us on that day? And could we not take that cup of living water to others? Let's pray together. I know it's Labor Day weekend. We're all kind of uh, kicking back a bit. And yet I wonder, are some of us struggling to have a passion for our faith in Christ, for recalling what he did for us at Golgotha so long ago, that he himself experienced the worst of thirst, that we might have his life-giving water? Water that quenches us here in the present, but will ultimately in the future, at that place where all pain is quenched, all hurt is quenched, all wounds are quenched, all doubt is quenched, all confusion is quenched, all failures are quenched, all sin is quenched. For that reason alone, don't you think you and I could have a more desperate thirst for him? What's an area in your life that needs to be, in a sense, hydrated, that needs to have more of a passion for serving him? And what's keeping you from doing that? Will you take just a moment and ponder that prayerfully with him? Lord, hear our hearts. We're not, most of the time we're not serving you as we should. And yet, if nothing else, Lord, give us the desire to serve you, the passion to serve you. For if we do that, we trust that your spirit will work in and through us. Feeble ministers though we are, you will work through us and do amazing things. So help us now with both fearlessness and humility to reach out to you in desperate thirst. We pray these things in your name. Amen.